Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Melina Lee Williams Haas. I deeply appreciate you listening and taking the time to hang out with me. I will be addressing issues of life, the universe, and everything that are often bogged down and mired in shame and grief, and talk about how they can be repackaged to be useful and gorgeous and fucking awesome for you. So, sit back and relax, or, you know what? Sit up and freak out. However, you prefer to listen. Let's go. Before I start censoring myself, I'm going to sit down and record this episode. And the purpose of this episode is first to tell you about my performing hyena. And the second is to talk about how fucking awesome I am. Because I don't do that enough. (laughs) And I would like to encourage you to follow my lead and sit down and talk to yourself for half an hour about how fucking awesome you are. So a few days ago, Georg and I were in Boston, Massachusetts for a performance of Hyena. Hyena, if you don't know, is my solo performance piece. It's me talking, and along with me speaking, there is an orchestra, chamber orchestra, roughly, it's usually 15 to 20 folks, and a conductor, and we perform the show. And the show is about my recovery and about the spectral creature that showed up during a DT detox hallucination or from a parallel universe or out of the mist and fog of time and magic, depending on who and what you believe. This is not the first time I have performed this piece. I've been performing it in some form to some extent for eight or nine years now or longer, I guess when I started doing the storytelling, I can't remember. That's not relevant. What's relevant is that Georg was invited to be in residence at Boston University, and they invited him to also have some of his pieces presented, and Hyena was one of the pieces selected. As I mentioned before, this is not the first time I performed it. It premiered in Vienna, which was kind of a fucking miracle, because despite the fact that I like to hammer myself for not having the success that I felt like I was going to have when I was a kid, because of course, you know, I was going to be a Hollywood actress, and then I was going to star on Broadway, or maybe vice versa, start on Broadway, and then move to the big screen. And obviously, none of those things have happened. And so because I like to think of myself as a failure more often than not, (laughs) I take the fact that I have not achieved the things that I'd set out to achieve when I was younger, ignoring the fact that the things I have achieved are kind of fucking amazing. I mean, my, my God, I was on stage in, in Vienna, like as far as white people are concerned, like one of the highest points of culture in the world, right? The house where Mozart shit was performed back in the day while he was still alive, I guess that sort of scenario, right? because he's been performed in many places since then. And uh, I performed it there. I performed it in New York as part of the Time Spans Festival. Forever thanks to Thomas Fichter for doing that. 
I performed it in Northern England. Uh, I performed in, in Russia and like the way far reaches of Russia in Perm and now here in Boston. But what was remarkable about this performance, I didn't even realize it until afterwards. My dear, dear friend, Rachel, who came and flew out from Ohio to be there, one of several friends who came from far away to come and see the show. And that is always really humbling because I always make an effort to support my people. And I've noticed that I think that's kind of unusual. There were some people who had said that they were absolutely going to be there come hell or high water. And they showed up and they were there in that audience to be present and to bear witness to the fact that I'm alive today to tell this fucking story. And that's goddamn amazing. Cause as far as I was concerned, the couple of years before I stopped drinking, I was just prepared to drink myself to death, you know, but what she mentioned and something I saw when, when we were being applauded and, and thanked back by the audience, myself, the orchestra conductor, Georg, all standing up on that stage, just so grateful for the love and the standing ovation, I would like to say, multiple curtain calls, was the diversity of the audience. And you need to understand, I have been spending the past nine years attending contemporary music shit all over the world. And it is very common for me to literally be the only brown face in an entire venue. That's just not weird. And I'm not talking about somewhere, okay, in the far reaches of a small town in Russia, you don't really expect to see that much diversity. I get it. That's not weird. But when you're in a city like like New York, and you know there's maybe five or six people out of 200 that aren't white, that's fucking weird. And the, the silo effect, the arrogance and the willingness of the contemporary music scene to posture as something that is so high culture that it's only for this little tiny group of people is part of what's ki- not killing it, but keeping it from growing. I will say the lack of diversity is absolutely slowly strangling and throttling the, the opera world, but that's, that's in a whole episode in and of itself. Anyway, my point is this. When I stood on that stage, with my fat black ass looking out over audience. And can I also say, this house was almost sold out. It was at the Institute for Contemporary Art in Boston on this gorgeous stage. And amazing, and a shout out to those folks uh, who were working behind the scenes there because the crew were amazing. House staff were amazing. It was just so welcoming. And I've been working in my in theater my whole life. And so when I walk into a place and the crew is just ready, set, go, doing whatever they can to make sure that you can do the job you're there to do. And they're just so supportive and so wonderful. So mad props to them and all of that. But it was just so amazing, so amazing to be in this beautiful house on this beautiful stage with the backdrop being the floor to ceiling, three stories tall glass that just took in a beautiful view of the skyline of Boston. And realizing that those hundreds of people of all diverse backgrounds and not just diversity in terms of ethnicity and race, but also of age. I mean, I go to most of these contemporary music things. You go to a classical concert and it's all old white people. Nothing personal. I'm married to an old white man. (laughs) You know, in my defense. And it was so beautiful. And then after the show, I had... I had a bunch of posters that um, 
I had made up years ago in an effort to try to, you know, sell them and have merch and all that stuff and never really worked out. But God, I sold almost half of them after the show, just people coming up and just wanting to say hello or buy a poster or say thank you or share a little bit of their own stories. It was so uplifting. And yeah, I just, I posted a photo before the show of me backstage just waiting to go on. And a friend of mine was like, you don't look too excited to be performing. And I wrote back, I was like, you know what? I don't quote unquote enjoy performing this show. It's not fun for me. Performing the opera, performing Sycorax with the arc of someone coming from uh, essentially a death back to life and resolving injustice and hurt was always energizing to me. I always went into it with this confidence and this heavy step that I, I felt good about, but I'm not Sycorax. While the show was written for me by the inestimable Harriet, and the role is unequivocally mine, I am not her. And performing Hyena is 100% me. It's everything true. There's no, not only is there no exaggeration, I mean, it's, there's plenty about that time in my life that I don't include that's even uglier and even filthier and even more humiliating. And that's what I'm bringing to the stage. And as a performer, you know, I mean, there's many different ways that people perform. But for me, part of what I do is to put myself as close to in the cellular reality of that character as possible. What did they eat that day? What underwear are they wearing? Are they hungry? Are they thirsty? Does their right toe ache because they broke it when they were a child? Like all this shit is the shit that I put together for myself when I'm designing a character and putting myself into that character's headspace. But for autobiographical shit, none of that is necessary because my body is already carrying that character. And I don't believe that it would be fair to who I was when I got sober or who I will be, Ganesha willing, I continue in this body for any additional length of time for me to lie about what my experience was or for me to exaggerate or God forbid to dumb it down or under, undermine it or shrink myself. I spent so much of my life doubting who I was and what my talents are and what my abilities are. And I enviously watch other people who proudly stood their own ground and declared who they were and expressed love for themselves and their talents. And I am working on stopping that. And the reason is, if I can stand on stage and talk about the ugliest and the most tragic and the most gruesome part of my life to date. And thereafter, have hundreds of people stand and applaud and show me with their love and their energy that they were moved. Then I am doing magic. I am fulfilling my purpose in this life. And that is an honor and a privilege 
that I cannot ignore or deny anymore. I've been working, I've been starting to work on a, a, a new business project. And I haven't even like done the dedicated episode I wanted to do talking about kink doula and how it came and everything that's happening and how much I want to really delve into it because I'm fucking terrified. I'm scared of doing it right. I'm scared of doing it wrong. I'm scared of disappointing someone who comes to me for help. I'm scared of helping someone and having them be successful because then, oh my God, like I've done the thing. And now what? I always very much enjoy putting more and more pressure on myself as I go on, as I succeed. Any small success definitely, therefore, must be followed up by pain and disappointment, right? <laughs> why do we do this to ourselves? I don't, I don't fucking know. There's plenty of reasons why. I know that for me, part of the reason is because I don't fully love myself yet. I am working on it. I am made so much more progress than I would have ever expected, but there are still parts of myself that I don't treat very well. I know I'm not alone in that. I know that I, I, I stress so hard about how I move through the world, concern about whether or not my actions might harm other people. I think about how my actions might harm other people before I think about how my actions might impact my own life. I know I'm not alone in this. And I know some people are probably wincing right now and being like, oh, you could have just sent me a DM before you flew all my personal laundry out there for everybody to see. I see you out there. I know that fucking routine. God, I know it. I know how it is to look around and feel as though you're alone, even in a crowd of people. I know what it is to have people look at you with adoration or love or affection And you just stand there in a panic because you know you are not worthy of that. There's something about addicts. I remember someone saying that we are the most magnificent, unique, talented, amazing pieces of shit walking the planet. (laughs) Right? Like the infinite capacity for (laughs) self-loathing. That's... Like the title, it's, it's like the uh, the uh, the bizarre world title of some evil Milan Kundera novel, right? <laughs> so willing, so willing I am to make myself less than. Even now, like walking off stage after this fucking amazing performance, I was just like, well, okay, you know, sure, I got a standing ovation, but like, you know, what does that mean anymore? You go to see shows and just everyone's jumping up for standing ovations because goodness knows, like, I paid $300 for this show. It better be life-altering. Therefore, standing O, standing O. The Europeans are not there with it. But then, you know, it was really interesting. Two days after that, I went to another show in Boston. The Spousemeister and I stayed another day and a half to see what turned out to be a rather amazing show. It was a take on the Frankenstein myth by a group out of Chicago that does puppetry. And they were just, it was so fantastic. And after that performance, they received an amazing, enthusiastic applause, but only a few people were standing. And so I was like, wait a second, maybe the cranky ass Bostoners don't do standing O's all the time. 
maybe that was like a thing. Maybe like they really did kind of dig what I was doing. <laughs> right? <sighs> Several days before the performance of Hyena, we had a screening of the documentary about the Spouse Meister and myself, The Artist and the Pervert. Hashtag it is available online. People Google it. I have so many people like, oh my gosh, I really want to see it. I really am waiting to see it. I'm like, no, you're not. Because if you really wanted to see it, you would have been online and done a search and found that it's streaming on like several platforms, including, you know, one of the biggest ones, i.e. Amazon. I believe you can buy it for like three bucks. So if you want to see snippets of Hyena performance and the Spouse Meister's butt, there it is. So we, we had a screening and I will tell you the God's honest truth. I did not fucking watch it. Okay. <laughs> this is going to sound really nutty, but I don't like listening to my voice. I don't like watching the documentary anymore because there's, this is going to sound crazy, but there are two different places where I fumble my words and I'm just spending the whole doc waiting for these moments. Anyway, after the documentary, we had a Q and a with the folks there and really lovely turnout. It was at the university. And there were several folks there that I knew. There were some kinky folks, some local kinksters that were there, some students, and not just music students. There were just, there were some journalism students, and there were some, you know, regular ass random folks who were just sort of like, hey, I'm curious about this subject matter, and, and I'd like to talk about it. And again, what was remarkable to me was just Sitting at, someone had asked some questions about my alcoholism and, and my recovery and about kink and about SM. And I remembered that I forgot that I'm a really good teacher. I've been a really good teacher since I was about 17. That's when I started formally teaching. Um, there was a program at my high school called the intercollegiate year. The way our school was structured by the time we were in junior year, I believe, our classes could be counted towards college credit, right? And then senior year classes also counted towards college credit. Yay, gifted kids. Anyway, you also could do what was called a, a senior project, the ICY project, so the intercollegiate year. So basically, your senior year was kind of like a coasting ride. You were earning some credits, and then you could push them towards towards college. And you also had sort of like a work study. And mine was to be an assistant to one of the teachers in the English and literature department. And so I was teaching seventh graders and I had the misfortune of being more popular than the teacher under whom I was working. Mrs. Asher did not like me after the first semester. She was not stoked. And uh, (laughs) our relationship suffered eventually as a result of the fact that when she would walk in the room and start her lessons, the response from the class would be mixed but when I would walk in the room, they would all jump up and down and holler and be so delighted and then sit in rapt attention. As I discussed, I thought Great Expectations was a fine book, but it was far more interesting if you thought about it in terms of what it was like to be living in a big city today versus, you know, a couple hundred years ago in England and how we really had not moved much past those times in terms of what poverty looked like for the lower classes. Speaking as someone living in a fucking tenement, in a walk-up, with rats and roaches. You know, I had a a different sort of perspective on what coming up from poverty looked like, right? (laughs) So my perspective might've been a little more interesting for the seventh graders. And I'd forgotten that. I'd forgotten that I wasn't, I didn't just spring 
you know, like fucking Athena out of the head or thigh or wherever the fuck she pops out of, of Zeus, right? I've been doing this for a while. In the same way that I've been an actor and performer and storyteller my entire life, I decided when I was fucking three that this was going to be what I did with my life. And do you know when I actualized it? Three years later. I don't think most children make decisions on their career and then act upon it immediately. (laughs) It's fucking incredible. I'm still doing what I wanted to do when I was three years old. And I'm doing it in ways I never expected. And yes, wouldn't it have been amazing for me to be a famous Hollywood actress? But isn't it also kind of amazing that I get to stand in front of my audience and then I have the ability to connect with them individually? I don't think a lot of celebrities can do that. I have just enough notoriety, just enough to connect with and be with and face-to-face with, (laughs) face-to-face, wow, What a slip of the tongue, yeah? Face to faith. Face to faith with folks who are themselves either struggling or understanding the struggle or struggle adjacent. Like in a room full of 60, 70 people, I was like, raise your hand if you are not either dealing with addiction yourself or have someone within one degree of you who is, and everyone had their fucking hands down like no one raised a hand because everyone has that in their lives it is an integral part of humanity and it's one that we are not dealing with well and it's one that i will fucking be hollering about for the rest of my life and that's great that's my job my job is to live and to tell this story and shit like what happened on last friday when i was able to do that And I was able to be present while people said, yes, we see you. Especially for someone who gave up on life. I was 35 and I gave up on life. So by the time I was 38 and in rehab, like I'm 53 now. Those years, those years I didn't ever anticipate. I just knew I was going to die. And now All I want to do is live and live and live on and on forever as long as I can so that I can tell as many people as I possibly can that I see them and love them and how critical and important and vital they are. This is what art does. And standing backstage with Georg and having him look at me with so much love and to tell me how proud he was at seeing what our love brings to the world and will continue to. There's a film version of Hyena. We're trying to get it released. Hey, if you are a distributor and you're interested, please contact me. Also, if you're an agent and you are looking for a weirdo (laughs) with no particular niche, I need an agent. But when we look and we see what we are doing as artists, It's not just Hollywood blockbuster entertainment. It saves lives. We're working to make the world lighter. We're bringing love, our love, to the world. And I'm bringing my love for myself to the world. 
I don't know what's going to fucking happen with Hyena going forward. I don't know what's going to fucking happen with Kink Doula going forward. I don't know any of these things. But what I do know for a fact is I'm going to hold on as tight as possible to every second and savor it and enjoy it. And I wish that for you as well, because it is beautiful to be alive, even when it's painful. Those moments on stage that I go back and I put myself back physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually into that place where I just knew I was going to die. When I go back to that place where I just knew there was a six foot tall hyena screaming at me to walk out of the rehab and get a fucking drink. And the fact that I can share that with you from a place of calm and from a place of love, of loving myself and loving every single body in that audience. When I first got together with Georg and I first realized that I could love this person, I did not understand how much more powerful that love would become as we grew together as not just as husband and wife or as master and servant, but also as artistic equals and partners. That shit is a fucking miracle. It's a miracle. And I am so, God, I'm so grateful that I get to share that with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being alive. Please stay that way. Okay? Please keep listening because I'm going to keep talking. <laughs> I'm going to keep talking and there's nothing you can fucking do to stop me. (laughs) I love you. And God, I am so grateful. So grateful to be able to have some time with you. Thank you. Now make sure you stay hydrated, get some water, get some freaking something. Cause I know for a fact you're dehydrated and you need a beverage. Just freaking do it. (laughs) you've been listening to all that and mo thanks so much for spending your precious precious time with me today my podcast is produced by cody crab theme music by georg friedrich haas as performed by marcus weiss and i look forward to spending time with you again really soon (laughs) 